Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Bruce talks with Orange County, California District Attorney Todd Spitzer about crime, prosecution, elected officials, police, and social upheaval. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now, here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue. Radio family, it's Bruce Cook. Time for the conversation tonight. As I always start the show, it is my great privilege to have you tuning in for the next hour. My goal is to be interesting and funny and impart some information that is of value to the listener. What upset you more this week in the news? How about, how about the train robberies in Los Angeles with goods and packages scattered all over the tracks? How about the funeral of the two officers shot and killed this week in New York and the turnout of some thousand or more men and women in blue uniform at St. Patrick's Cathedral in the streets in front of that cathedral? If you're on the West Coast in your Los Angeles, how about the tragic murder of a young 15-year-old black girl killed and dumped on an on-ramp of the 101 freeway or earlier in the week actually in last week the tragic and violent and senseless murder of another young woman working in a furniture store in the Hancock Park La Brea district of Los Angeles how about in New York this week a 16 year old would-be rapper gets into a scuffle with the police and shoots a policeman. He goes to jail. He is released on his own recognizance, or that, I assume, of his parents or guardian. He is out walking the streets. These are just some of the examples of what has become commonplace in our country, a civilized nation of law-respecting people for the most part, how about shoplifters in cities across America? Shoplifters that know that they can take $950 of merchandise over and over and over again in some cases, walk out the door and expect no, no, rep, no, no criminal retribution, no charges. It's just too much to deal with. So tonight our show together for the next hour is all about the change in our society, how we're going to deal with this, how we are functioning and dealing with the crime that we face, and who better to bring on as a guest here in Los Angeles and Orange County than the District Attorney of Los Angeles, Mr. Todd Spitzer. Let me tell you a little bit about him before he joins us live. Todd is a Southern California boy. He went to UCLA, then Berkeley, then Hastings College of Law. He has spent the best part of 30 years of his adult career in public service. He is has been an assemblyman in the state of California. He's been a county supervisor several times, assistant DA, now district attorney, 
Orange County. He is a champion of victims' rights. He was co-responsible as the co-writer of the Megan's Law, which everyone has heard of. He also was very involved in promoting another similar law named after Marcy. Todd Spitzer, are you there tonight? Join me. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bruce. Thanks for having me. But I just need to correct you. You said I was the district attorney of Los Angeles County. Oh, boy. I almost wish, Bruce, I almost wish I was, because if I was the DA of L.A., actually the good people of L.A. where I spent the first 30 years of my life might be a little safer tonight. Thank you for pointing that out. I didn't even realize <laughs> I had done that. No, wow. you told people you're going to make them laugh. So here we let's start now, okay? Well, this might be a very depressing topic. My no, friend. it's not going to be because I know how positive you are. But you know what? Since I screwed that up, I was going to bring up Gascon later in the show. But let's let's start. <laughs> let me start with that right now. Sure. And let me just let me give a little bit of background to the listener. From what I know and what I've read, because it really perplexed me, many of the policies instituted by. D.A. Gascon in Los Angeles that have been very lenient. It, I wondered where it was coming from, so I read it, read up on it. I didn't know, and maybe many of the listeners don't know, I'm sure that you do, that he began his career as a policeman in Los Angeles in law enforcement and spent years as a cop. And as he came through the ranks as a cop, in that time period, some 20 so so years ago, it was mainly a white male force, and there was a lot of prejudice. There was a lot of hatred toward Latino and black people, partly because there was so much bad behavior and so many crimes, and the, I guess the, the police were fed up with it, and, and they expressed it. And it really changed the man. It changed his core, and he wanted to do something about it, and he is doing something about it. But is it the right thing to do? Let me let you comment. Well, you know, as I sit here tonight, I have this conversation with you. And again, thanks for inviting me. I have his reading list. Um, if you remember the day he got sworn in as the new DA of L.A. And think about this. I mean, he defeated Jackie Lacey, right? African-American woman, Democrat, um, career prosecutor. She's, you know, she, you think of Jackie Lacey as the archetype of the perfect fit for L.A. County District Attorney's Office. And I think she was a great fit, but she was she was too pro-law enforcement for the forces at the time of that election, Bruce, where there was, a, I mean, there was so much distrust of the police. You had George Floyd, you had Breonna Taylor, you had this national movement to defund the police. And, you know, he, he it was kind of like perfect timing. If you think about it, he was a district attorney of San Francisco, and he was appointed by Gavin Newsom to be the DA. And London Breed, who's the mayor of San Francisco, when Gascon moved down here to run for DA, she, she put out a statement, and she said, don't you dare elect that man, your DA of L.A. County. He literally ruined San Francisco. <laughs> Why would you want him to now ruin Los Angeles County? And so a couple things. First of all, it can happen. I mean, no one, Bruce, should take this for granted. These DAs... We call them the wokes, okay? They call themselves the progressives. I call them the regressives. But, they, you know, the woke movement, and I think some people should really understand this, because out of our civil unrest, uh, you know, uh, in 2019 during the pandemic and 
we had rioting and looting and all, all kinds of problems, and I'm still dealing with that in court cases. You, you had people say, you know what? The problem in America today is the police. The problem in America today with mass incarceration and racism are prosecutors. And so it fit in perfectly for his agenda to advance himself politically. I do believe he believes this. I don't believe it's fake for George. I really do believe, Bruce, that he believes it. But it is scary. And I hope tonight we can talk about the ramifications of some of these policies. And what I've said to all my friends, Bruce, and how I feel about Orange County and how much I want you know, L.A. to be protected in San Francisco, too. I mean, I went to law school in San Francisco. I love San Francisco, most enchanting city, I think, in the world. One of the most beautiful, romantic. That place has been ruined. I won't let it happen here in Orange County. I can't. I've got to do everything I can to stop it from coming to any other community in America, and certainly the one I live in and I was elected to protect. Nicely put, Todd. But what about the people of Los Angeles that elected Mr. George Gascon, do you think they've had a change of heart when they've seen what has happened? Or is it that that city has gone far left of center? Because it can't just be it can't just be minority voters that are upset with the police that put this man in office. Well, I mean London Breed and the 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 mayor of San Francisco I talked about, she voted to defund the police. She's reversed herself. Libby Schaff is the mayor of Oakland. She was the leader to defund the police in California. And now with Oakland's huge rise in homicides, she has said, oh, my God, that was the stupidest idea. And she's reversed course. So I think, I think people have come to their senses. And I think really the, the, quite, the public policy examination that we're going through is, aren't people sick and tired of not feeling safe in their community? And, and I think in Los Angeles, I think people are scared to death. Now, the, the recall against Chesa Bowden, who's the district attorney of San Francisco, think about this. He was a public defender, okay? And he ran for DA and won. In San Francisco, that might happen. But his parents went to prison for life for killing a police officer during the takedown of an armored car while they were members of the Weather, Gut, uh, Weather Underground, which is a radical uh, you know, militant group. That back in the day. Yeah, back in the day during, you know, the civil rights movement in the 50s and the 60s, that kind of thing. So anyway, they're, both of them got out of prison because their sentences were commuted by then-Governor Cuomo, uh, who obviously was a governor of New York. So the, to answer your question, the, the, the recall in San Francisco against Chester Bowden for not prosecuting theft, allowing homeless to get out of control, having people who have some of the highest property values in the nation if you know San Francisco is one of the most expensive places to live people are you know vested incredibly in that town and 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 they want him recalled at least it's qualified and I, I honest to goodness I think he will be recalled George Gascon uh you know it takes 560,000 signatures in LA county to even qualify something uh, you know, on the ballot. I mean, it's a, just a huge hurdle because of the number of registered voters. You got it. So, so if they get the 560,000 signatures, do I think George Gask? I think it'll be close. I think, I think people are very, very upset and very frustrated. I guess I would put it to you this way, Bruce, because you know, you and I have done this and been around a long time. The pendulum always swings, right, like a clock, one way or another, and that's not where you govern. 
you govern from the center. I mean, I, you, you cannot have society out of control. You can't have people out of control. You have to have order. And we go back and forth about, you know, capitalism and, you know, all these different systems of government, okay? But at the end of the day, even my liberal friends, and quite frankly, I have a lot of liberal friends, it's not the liberals I'm worried about. It's these extreme far-left individuals, just like I'm concerned about the far-right. You know, it's the far-right and the far-left that get so much attention and tend to be out there screaming to make policy but most Americans are somewhat in the middle and just left of right, left of left of left. They're Ex- not they're not on these extremes. Except and that's why our country has a problem right now. Except that has always existed, has it not, in America. There has always been far left and far right in decades past and administrations past, but today they have control of the media. They have control of what we are hearing day in and day out and seeing. Why is that? Well, um, I would argue, I mean, look, we got Fox News and we got MSNBC and CNN. I mean, you can get the kind of news that you want to get pretty much by turning on whatever station you want. However, in my opinion, what has really caused the demise of our community is social media. Everybody's a journalist. Everybody can spread information, whether it's true or verified or not. And, and it is really the Internet and social media that's caused so, I think, so much panic and so much anxiety in society. I mean, look, we all had pagers in the day. And, yeah, you know, you felt like this, you know, it's on your hip and you felt the need to return that text message or whatever pretty quickly. Then when you got cell phones, now... There's a tweet that goes out, and it says something about you or something you care about, and then the whole world has to weigh in. So We've what's the answer? a lot of urgency and a lot of anxiety. What do we do about it? It's unregulated also. What do we do? It's owned by corporations. All, well, of, these, all of these sources, they're, well, money, they're huge money makers. They're huge money makers, and they have the ability to take certain people off their platforms, right? And yes, they do. Because they're pri- they're private, but they have so much infiltrated our everyday lives and our society. Like go to your get go to any of the newspapers. I go to L.A. Times. I read L.A. Times every morning, and I read the Orange County Register first thing in the morning. And any article I click on, they have the icons. You can tweet that article and comment on it, or you can Facebook that article. And some of them have Instagram. So those are the big those are the big three. And then the young people are on all kinds of other things like Snapchat and the like. And the question is, what do you do about it? Honestly, Bruce, I'm not sure I want to do anything about it, and I'll tell you why. Because I believe in the First Amendment, and I believe that people have the right to say what they want to say, unless they're not harming anybody, they're not causing violence, they're not breaking the law. People have a right to say what they want to say, and it's up to us to filter ourselves about what kind of information we're going to take in. I mean, I talk to people all the time, you must too, that tell you, I don't look at that anymore. It, I don't have a Facebook account. It, it's driving me crazy. It's up to us to regulate ourselves. Government, I do not want government regulating uh, our speech unless it's harmful or, un, or, 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 or you know, causing some kind of violence. You know what? On that point, we're going to take a quick break. It's our quarter-hour break. We've got so much to talk about, Todd. Thank you so much for your time today. Of course. I want to I go back to a whole bunch of issues that you brought up. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Cook. It's The Conversation live tonight with District Attorney of Orange County, California. Todd Spitzer will be back in one minute. Ducks Radio AM 830 KLAA. At the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hogue Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hogue.org forward slash epilepsy care. Ducks Radio, AMA 30, KLAA. It's Bruce Cook. We are back. The conversation tonight live. Todd Spitzer, Orange County District Attorney, sharing his time with us tonight. Todd, I'd like to make a comment on what you said just before we took our break about people making up their own mind, government not being in control of what we think. I totally agree with that, but I have one one problem. And that is, I think America has really sunk to a low level in terms of the public being an educated society. I don't mean that everybody has to be a master's degree or a law degree, or a fabulous, you know, wonderful pedigree. But our basic education system is failing an awful lot of people. And frankly, I don't know, you go back to the Constitution and the founders a couple hundred years ago, they didn't totally believe in the intelligence of the common man either. Now, Having said that, we have survived for 200 years pretty darn well. But what do you say to the fact that if a, man, if a reporter goes out on the street and does a man on the street and asks who was the first uh, president of the United States and people can't even answer George Washington, isn't that an indication that we got trouble well, Bruce, um, you did a nice introduction to me, um, and again, thanks for having me on. I, one of my uh, you know, background, I was a high school English teacher, and I taught uh, at Roosevelt High School in East L.A. in the inner city, and I was a cop for LAPD, for a reserve cop for 10 years while I was a prosecutor in the DA's office starting my career. Uh, look, I, when I taught at Roosevelt High School in 1984, <laughs> okay, I'm dating myself now, the dropout rate at Roosevelt High School you know, was 50%. Well, when Antonio Villaraigosa was running for uh, governor of the state of California way back when, he held his press conference to announce that in front of Roosevelt High School. And you know what he said? I'm running for governor because the dropout rate of Roosevelt High School is 50%. That was 30 years later, Bruce. So, I mean, and, and remember, we spend Gary Hart, who uh, was one of the education leaders in the state of California, just passed away. I just read his obituary. Um, Gary Hart, you remember, we, we, Gary Hart and others led that we spend over half of our state budget. Every 50% of every tax dollar goes for education. And yet our education system on the public side has not improved. In fact, for people of color, for young, young 
boys and girls who are growing up in the inner city, it's, they're, they're even at a less of an advantage. And let's go back to public safety because that's right. I mean, you want to defund the police and make those communities that are more vulnerable. You want to make it harder for kids to walk to school in the morning without getting hit up by gang members. You want, look at that 70 year old woman that was just murdered uh, waiting to take a bus to go to County USC for her job as a nurse. You want when mom and dad take off early in the morning and they take public transportation and they're sitting at a bus, you want them to be assaulted and murdered and leave these kids who are already at a disadvantage without parents? I mean, it's so absurd. It's so racist. I mean, let me, let me play the race card a little bit because I worked so much in the inner city and, and saw the effects. You take away the police and you give kids an inferior education opportunity – that, to me, is creating the underbelly of an underclass, a permanent underclass. And there's a part of me that actually thinks today, Bruce, that there are individuals in politics today, it's very important for them to preserve the underclass. They, they, they need a voting base that is completely and utterly dependent on them, as opposed to teaching people how to get their education, lift themselves up, be self-sufficient, um, and be able to uh, be prosperous. You, your opinion is very, very revolutionary, but it is not totally uncommon. It is shared by others. I think, dare say, many others. And it is probably the scariest thing you could possibly say on air tonight. And the answer to that is, as you said in general terms, making a, a sea change in culture and how people see their lives and how they raise their kids and how they influence them with higher goals than than any quick fixes that seem to be so predominant in poverty society today. And again, it goes back to what we talked about before, media, and in particular, young people on social media. And I'm going to stop there because we've talked this into oblivion, but you're abs I agree with you 100%. I want to go back to, I want to go back to the police situation. And maybe it's a good segue because you brought up the idea of the defunding the police. For at least, I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, for at least 20 years, as the civil rights movement in various forms in modern times has, has improved and evolved, police forces in major urban, urban areas, Los Angeles, Orange County, other places around the country, they are very integrated. There are large numbers of African-American police, Asian police, Hispanic, Latino police, as well as white, men, women. It is America. It is a, it is a color rainbow of America on police forces. Why do, they, why do people still hate the police so much? What is going on? And specific to what you said about inner city neighborhoods where they want to defund I'll bet most citizens that either own or rent property or raising families in those neighborhoods, the hell with defunding police. They say, come to the door. Well, Bruce, I mean, uh, this is going to be a heavy conversation because uh, I've spent a lot of time in the South. When I was in law school, I went uh, to you know Mississippi and Alabama and throughout Georgia. In fact, I just took my family to see the birthplace of Martin Luther King in Atlanta and went to the Center for Nonviolent Social Change where he's encrypted with his wife, but uh, it was closed because of the pandemic. And, I've, you know, I've studied a lot about these issues. And, you know, I just have to tell you, look, 
we have engaged in mass incarceration. This argument that, that jails and prisons have been used to discriminate against people of color, there, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, we have used prisons and jails to deal uh, with p- people and individuals we, we wanted to rid of from society. The South um, was riddled with a lot of police forces, I mean, call them good old boys, whatever you want to call them, who have, have really utilized the criminal justice system to be punitive against people of color, especially African Americans. Now, out in the West, our police agencies still have part of that. Um, and look, look at, I mean, just take, uh, you know, the sheriff being the waiver and the, and the things he's been dealing with, with the tattooed deputy sheriffs and whether they're members of a gang, Okay. Well, this is. Let me interrupt you. This is what I brought up in the beginning about the background of Gascon coming from that situation of seeing the prejudice. But let's fast forward. I agree with you. It existed, especially in the South, but it existed everywhere. But I believe it's much less today. It has to be because the police forces are so integrated and there is so much change. Am I wrong? No, I think you're right in a lot of the police departments, and I think it has changed across the country. I will tell you, though, that when the police feel that it's us against them, they, are, they become, for lack of a better word, they become a group. You want to call them a gang? They, they feel like it's us against them. When they have to go out and they have to deal with gang members and everything else, there's a culture that exists within the police departments, and it's, it's like a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and they do feel it's like us against them. And it gets worse. See, think about this for a second. When the politicians of a particular community like City of Los Angeles, you know, uh, or your DA, when they're so against the police, I think Gascon wakes up every day looking for a case where he can bring charges against a police officer. I think there are DAs across this country now that hold that up as a badge of honor if they can send uh, police officers to jail. Now, in the George Floyd case, that uh, he, he deserved to go to prison and, and for a very, very long time. I mean, what he did was murder, and I completely agree with that. But what I want you to appreciate and understand is when you're a cop and you're working in a community where you feel you don't have the political support, you get very insulated, defensive, and you start to kind of batten down the hatches. But isn't that human nature? It worse. It's human, it nature. human nature. That is. But, that, but, Bruce, what I'm trying to tell you is what you're seeing in Los Angeles with this whole scrutiny of the police department, it's worse because they don't feel like they're going to be supported by the politicians, the elected officials, especially their district attorney. You know, I'm getting beat up all the time. Um, there was a protest today in my city, um, a, a protest uh, where, you know, they protested a case I'm prosecuting uh, that was a result of the civil unrest where a woman uh, named Tatiana Turner, I charged her with running over some people, engaging in civil disobedience, and using her car as a weapon to hurt people, and that case is pending. And they were there to protest me. I, I, this week I announced my re-election, and during that period of time, Bruce, there were people who came from the city of Fullerton where I cleared a police officer for uh, killing a, another human being uh, when that uh, particular person tried to stab the police officer with a knife while they were trained to take him into custody, and the officer shot him. And these are horrible, horrible, horrible situations where police officers take action that they believe they need to take. And I'm the one in Orange County that makes the decision, just like every other DA in all 58 counties in California, whether we're going to charge a police officer with a crime. But what I'm trying to tell you is there are, there are people out there that hate me 
as much as they hate the police because they see that we're all on one side. They think we're all joined together at the hip. I have a very, very independent role in society, Bruce. My job is to judge the conduct of people if and when they break the law, and my job is to judge police officers and prosecute them if they, if they break the law as well. And yet people are often very disturbed and, and upset when somebody dies by the police because they think that somehow I'm engaged you know, in some kind of cover-up when nothing could be further from the truth. How do you deal with that? How do you sleep at night? Well, I wish I did. I really, really don't. It's, it's honestly, this particular job and the job a lot of people have in running big corporations and running big governmental agencies. Look, I run the third largest district attorney's office in California, the sixth largest in the country. I have 900 employees, $150 million budget, and we file 70,000 cases a year. And, and so I don't because it's constantly one thing or another. Um, th this is probably one of society's most difficult jobs because we make life and death decisions. I'm the one that has to decide if we're going to pursue the death penalty, even though some would argue rightfully that it doesn't even exist in California, but we still pursue it in the appropriate circumstances. And so what I'm telling you is these are important decisions about life and death, important decisions about prosecuting police officers. But let me also make the other point. Every day when, I, when any of my deputies, any of my lawyers, 300 lawyers, when they file a criminal complaint and they sign their name and that, that person is charged with a crime, Bruce, that is one of the heaviest burdens that society has. And it's the reason why it requires so much education uh, to become a lawyer and so much education and experience to be a prosecutor. Because when I sign my name, I can forever change your life. So whether it's a murder or whether it's, you know, drunk driving or sexual battery or, you know, shoplifting or grand theft or fraud or whatever it is, every time you charge somebody with a crime, you are potentially forever changing their life. How their neighbors see them, whether they can get credit, whether they can buy a home, whether they get divorced, whether their children speak to them, these are really, really, really important decisions we make every single day. On that, District Attorney, we're going to take our half-hour break. Before I let you go, I want you to think about what you just brought up, crime of shoplifting. I want to talk about that when we come back. Okay, you got it. And so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Cook with District Attorney of Orange County, Todd Spitzer. We're going to take a break. We will be right back. Do not go away. Ducks Radio, AMA 30. Hey, LAA. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue is ranked in the top 1% in the nation by U.S. News & World Report. It provides world-class care through multidisciplinary expert teams, each focusing on specific disorders of the brain and spine, such as stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, Parkinson's disease, cognitive disorders including Alzheimer's, epilepsy, back pain, as well as spinal cord issues, addiction medicine, and sleep disorders. Our renowned experts offer the best evidence-based care, state-of-the-art technology, and the latest clinical research, all focused on the individual patient. Our stroke program was the first in Orange County named as a certified comprehensive stroke center, and our brain tumor program is the largest in Orange County and among the top volume programs in the Western United States. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute. Compassionate care, clinical excellence, creative intelligence. To learn more, call 
516-9075 or visit hogue.org forward slash neuroinstitute. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this very well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and their families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, New Directions for Women has helped addicted women recover in a nationally recognized treatment facility in Costa Mesa. Their doors are wide open. It just takes the first step. Call New Directions for Women. The number is 888-786-0509. Again, 888-786-0509. You can also visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. New Directions for Women. They know recovery. Hi, this is Kevin Shattenkirk, and you're listening to Ducks Radio AM 830. Indeed, it's the human sign when things go wrong. That's what we're talking about tonight. Hi, Bruce Cook. The Bruce Cook Conversation with District Attorney of Orange County. Todd Spitzer. Welcome back, Todd. Thank I you, want, Bruce. I want to know about all this shoplifting. I want to know about that first, and then we're going to talk about every other kind of thing that's going on, smash and grab robberies, follow home robberies. It's just unbelievable. Shoplifting. Well, I mean, let me contrast. I mean, here in Orange County, we fully prosecute individuals who are stealing, Okay. And I've given directions to my prosecutors, hey, I don't care if it's a misdemeanor. If people are stealing, we're going to prosecute them. The problem out there today is is that the police don't necessarily want to make these arrests because it's a lot of paperwork and they don't think anything's going to happen. What happens at the jail if they end up booking somebody is they're cited out and released. They're not even held anymore. Um, I mean, look, a lot of the reason we're having problems we're having is because the state legislature has just given away the store on public safety, and then the voters have been duped over and over again. Proposition 57, Prop 47, AB 109 is what, that was passed by the legislature, that's what changed um, whether somebody was going to go to state prison for, you know, uh, committing serious crimes, I think stealing a car, things like that serious, but they reversed all that. And so we are seeing an explosion in my county and all over the state of auto theft and theft. Um, and then you take just the Prop 47, which changed the financial threshold for the prosecution of theft. So in the old days, if somebody had a conviction, Bruce, for theft, and they did it again, we could decide whether we're going to charge them with a felony or a misdemeanor. Now that's gone away. It's always a misdemeanor. We also, uh, the threshold for how much you could steal and have it cross over into a felony, that was raised from over $400 to you know $950. So, you know, when you look in San Francisco, I mean, I've watched the news stories and everything else. Look, let me also, let me overlay this a little bit with, with the philosophy by the wokes, okay? Chester Bowden, George Gascon, the guy running against me, they don't believe in prosecuting misdemeanors. Because, of course, if you put somebody in jail for a misdemeanor, you're increasing mass incarceration. So don't forget that that's always out there, this whole theory that... 
unless it's a serious and violent felony, and I could argue that George Gascon's not even prosecuting serious and violent felons properly, but that, if we have time, we can talk about that. So that's really the issue, is there's a philosophy in life today that what I have, you talked about the railroad tracks uh, in your intro. When I saw the pictures of the railroad tracks and all the, 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 the refuge that was left over from the looting, you know what that represented to me? They deserve your property more than you do. And if you thought about what George Gascon said when Union Pacific declared that the DA's office wasn't prosecuting cases of the theft from the, and you knew the guns were stolen and all that. You yeah, know he wanted, he wanted Union Pacific to take charge. Yes, you know, that's exactly right, Bruce. He said, you need more security and you have, uh, you, you have crappy locks on your storage facilities, right? <laughs> Thank you. It's like, it's so now, so, so that's, so really, Bruce, that's the society we live in now. If I leave my door unlocked in my house and somebody comes in and burglarizes me, it's our fault because we didn't leave our door. How about the fact that they came in with the intent to steal? How about they came in with the intent to commit a felony or whatever? In other words, do you see my point? Yeah, of course. Deserve, the homeless but... deserve, the, everybody should be able to take our stuff. And when they do, uh, shame on us. And if they do, it's still not the person's fault. It's not the perpetrator's fault anymore. Does this come from the the hope that society will lift up the poor more than we have in decades past because of bigotry, racism, prejudice? I mean, let's face it. There are always bad people, no matter what the situation is, no matter what race we're talking about. There are bad people that do bad things. Bruce, I honestly think um, it goes back to this. You know, if you listen to Gascon, you listen to my opponent, they don't want to prosecute juveniles as adults, right? You just read about a 26-year-old they caught. She was 17 at the time. She abducted a little girl into a gas station. She sexually assaulted her. Um, and even though she was almost 18, uh, George Gascon you know, will not prosecute any juvenile, no matter what crime they commit, sex crimes, murder, whatever. He will not prosecute them as adults because he fundamentally says that the person, a person's brain, especially boys, doesn't develop until they're at least 25 years old. And so well, that's, just, that's obscene. It's absurd. Well, it's absurd, too, because I can, I can drive at 16. I can go into the military at 18. I can become a police officer at 20, 21 years old. I can drink at 21. Right, I can sign financial documents. I mean, it, in other words, why, when it comes to criminality, or do we have a different standard than when every other societal norm that's already been accepted by society? But back on the point to answer your question, it, it, it is really, uh, I, I, I'm just telling you, it's, it's, look, there's a whole movement in America today to fundamentally destroy our country and to rebuild it with a completely different model of government. And I think that there are people behind the scenes that are purposely creating chaos so that people might even entertain, that they would even entertain a different form of government. It could happen. I think it's that nefarious. I do. I really do. I, 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 it could definitely happen. History has proven that. A lot of people, as negative as this sounds, are saying that maybe America's best days are past. Others are saying we will recover from this. It will change. But let me go back to something you said just a few moments ago about police dealing with minor theft and not wanting 
to even show up for it because it's a waste of time, it's paperwork, and they'll just be released at the courthouse anyway. What does that tell us about what's happening, again, in that us-versus-them model that you brought up earlier, if the police won't do that job? Well, go to San Francisco. The police. Okay, so you you're presupposing you have the police, and then they just don't want to bother because nothing's going to happen. I'm going to even add an additional layer, and tell you that the police are retiring in full force. They're leaving departments. The recruitment classes are smaller than they've ever been, and people are have no interest or losing interest in careers going into law enforcement because there's no public support or there's very little public support and the politicians will throw them under the bus at a moment's notice and or they'll be prosecuted so they can be trophies on some woke prosecutor's mantle or and they'll so be or they will be shot or harmed greatly trying to do their job right in and record numbers that's right and if they discharge their firearm because they believe they need, they need to do that to protect themselves or others, there's still a good chance they might be prosecuted. And that's why, you, if you, that's why I was talking to you about the protests today in my city. There are, there are people that absolutely believe that, that we shouldn't have police. I mean, look at, look at Portland. Look at Seattle. Look at their downtowns. People are not going to come back and open their businesses in Seattle in the downtown or Portland. Portland gave away and abdicated its uh, police department and let all, a whole new political structure by these crazies take over. Who, who in there, you can't get a police officer to stay and or want to be a police officer in San Francisco. And LAPD is, become, you know, my, my, my former department, it's becoming much, much harder to recruit. Why would you want to be a police officer in L.A. with George Gascon as district attorney? Will Villanueva be sent to pasture you know i listen that guy i mean if nothing else he's out there <clears throat> speaking his heart out and saying what needs to be said i think bonin uh, city council member bonin decided not to run for re-election largely because of Villanueva over the homeless issue i mean Villanueva went to venice beach and said you can't live here right i'm going to clean this place up he went to alvera street he said i'm going to clean this place up bonin didn't do that Bonin, Bonin had no interest in, in telling the homeless that you, 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 you can't be on the streets, you can't be doing this. So, so look, I think a guy like Bonin, and you can see, like, the L.A. Times, it's like, it's, like a, it's like a funeral for Bonin. Like, oh, my goodness gracious, we can't believe this guy wants to retire. And it must be because he just can't deal with, you know, all the criticism. How about go out and do your job and protect the public? Okay, we can be humane. Look, Bruce. When right next to the stadium, right when Angel Stadium, when that riverbed was full of homeless, it was my district, and I went with Judge Dave Carter, and and we cleared that riverbed in a humane and ethical way because we built a homeless shelter over on Little Kramer Place, over in Anaheim, and so others other jurisdictions started also to build shelters. And in order to get the homeless off the street, you have to offer them a bed, and so we did that. And guess what? When all the visitors to the stadium and all the fans and everything come there, or they drive down the 57 as the entrance to Orange County from the north, that's not the image. But if you drive into L.A., every overpass, every underpass, 
all these intersections, downtown L.A., it is horrible. It is, it is not, it's not fair to the citizens, the taxpayers, and it's inhumane to the people who are homeless. Okay? It is, it's not right. It's not right for anybody. I started a mental health uh, unit in my, in my office. Uh, we try to help people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. I heard your ad for one of the uh, 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 services in, in Costa Mesa, one of your advertisers. We have, Bruce, we have failed as a society. We've got to do better for our mentally ill, and we have to do better for those who are addicted to substances. It we sounds like it sounds like the only hope of of making those changes is in the election system. You talked about the assembly in in California changing all of these laws regarding incarceration. Well, how are we going to make change? Back to that center point that you've talked about so so passionately, if it doesn't come from elections. There, Let's there stop there. Let's there. stop there. You can think about that. We've got to take our last break. Right. We'll come back to that. And then I want to ask you, I want to go into the homeless problem a little bit before we close the show. Uh, everybody stay tuned. we got another commercial break. we got more pearls from our DA, Todd Spitzer. So stay with me. I'm Bruce Cook. Hi, this is Kevin Shattenkirk, and you're listening to Ducks Radio AM 830. As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's Neurospine Program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is a leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours, walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash sign help. Ducks Radio, AM 830. Todd Spitzer, we could just spend the last segment listening to some music. It's a lot nicer than what we have to talk about. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to the conversation. Bruce Cook with Todd Spitzer, District Attorney, Orange County. When we took our break, I asked Todd to think about the homeless situation, especially in terms of violence, crime, and what seems to be growing. Uh, Todd, I think most people agree we've got to help the homeless. We've got to help those that are drug and alcohol addicted. We've got to get, we've got to get them a roof over their head. But then we hear so much that so many of them don't want a roof over their head. They want to be left alone. And a lot of the public, a lot of the public wants us just to leave them alone. But violence is getting worse. There's more and more death. There's more and more criminality. What do we do? Well, you know, the courts have really, you know, uh, uh, the court's decision, federal court's decision, Ninth Circuit, it's really hamstrung our communities. Um, we closed down our facilities, right, to deal with the mentally ill. Uh, we have to, we have to rebuild those. I mean, if we don't have a place to put our mentally ill and treat our mentally ill, I, I have a cousin. Uh, I lived with her father when I was in law school. My cousin Patsy, she's a paranoid schizophrenic, <clears throat> and she wouldn't take her medication 
and from time to time she would get in trouble with law enforcement, act out violently, whatever. But you know, a par- Bruce, I mean, think of, a paranoid schizophrenic will not take medication. Why? Because they think you're trying to kill them. That right? They're paranoid. They're, right? So the people who are mentally ill, they have to be committed and they have to be stabilized. And until you stabilize somebody who's mentally ill where you can reason with them and explain about once they're stabilized about their mental issues, then, then you're, you'll never, ever, ever get your arms around it. And so <clears throat> we have failed. We, it's, not, it's not amount of money. I've, I always say this about education. It's, we have plenty of money for education. We have plenty of money to deal with the mentally ill. This idea that we're going to build mentally ill people and homeless people homes, Los Angeles did that. You know how many homes they built for the mentally ill and the homeless since they've gotten $2 billion in additional taxes? I'm afraid what your answer is going to be. It's it's de minimis. Plus, you know what the average cost of one of their little homes they're trying to build is $500,000. And you know the bureaucrats and everybody else is eating up that money. Look, if we don't take charge, if we don't get the courts to knock it off, and give us more ability to take people off the street against their will and get them stabilized and put them into facilities and start to treat them, we will never win this war against the homeless. So it's back it's to elections. It's, it's back, not a war. It's know? back to elections. As a, it's getting people into power to make those decisions. And without it, nothing's going to change. Well, think about this. The judges are appointed by your politicians, right? So when you know when you get more conservative judges that give society the ability to do these things, that can be very very helpful. Now Dave Carter, <clears throat> Dave Carter is is kind of the lead ju- judge for the federal bench on all the homeless issues. He was in Orange County. He's now in L.A. He's a very good friend of mine. I've known him forever. He married me and my wife. He's a Democrat, but he's a very practical person. He and he wants society to solve this problem. The problem is there's higher courts which have made it impossible to have the tools to, to fix it. So, I mean, again, <clears throat> it is not about money. What I hate about liberals is they always think if we just raise your taxes and spend more of your money, we can solve more of your problems. If that was true, the state would have this $45 billion surplus, and it would solve every one of societal's problems. It's not capable of solving these problems. Good point. But listen, there's something else that uh, ties into this that I have to bring up. The homelessness problem is not, or at least it not was, it was not originally uh, forced on society by, by people that abuse drugs and alcohol. I believe that it, it started as much as 30 years ago. You might remember there were protests many, many year, decades ago that they called that were called Occupy Wall Street, where people were complaining about the disparity of income, that they couldn't make ends meet with a job in urban centers in Los Angeles, for example, since that's where we're talking to. They couldn't earn enough money being a responsible worker at whatever their job was to cover their lifestyle. And it certainly wasn't a luxurious one. The The disparity between those incomes has become so, so dramatic. There's no place for a poor person in Southern California anymore. There's no place for a person who earns minimum wage unless the entire family is earning minimum wage and bounding in somehow together to just make ends meet. 
Homelessness is also because of our economy. And there's no place for them to live. They can't rent an apartment. They can't afford food. This is where I don't know how you solve that problem in a in a in a in a democratic republic society that's based on capitalism. Our capitalism has run amok. Okay, well, I do want to challenge you, and I know we're short on time, but there's no way that socialism uh, is a better system or a system that will solve those problems. In fact. Anytime socialism has come into a country, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, and there's way more exploitation of labor. Todd, I don't disagree. Karl, I don't disagree. Right? It's why Karl Marx wrote the right. Communist Manifesto. But, that's, but right? that's not the point. What do poor people do? Where do they go? And what if, do poor people do? Let me tell you what the great equalizer is, Bruce. It's education. When I was a high school teacher, I taught first-generation graduates of high school who are going on to college. I agree to with that, too. I'm going to interrupt you because we don't have any time. I agree with yeah. that, too. How do you change the culture of the poor, especially people of color that don't value education? How do you change that? I don't that? agree with you on that. I don't agree with you on that. We have our gang reduction program here in Orange County. We're in all the schools. Every child has a great opportunity in this country to succeed. Every single child. They... They need mentors and people in the community, like my prosecutors who go into the elementary schools and intermediate schools. We, we're there, we're committed, and we're teaching these kids how to get their education. I know, that you, are, I know that you are, and I know that thousands of very well-meaning people are doing that, and it is making a difference, but it's not enough. And I, I insist that there are not enough parents, and maybe it's because they can't deal with it, because there's too much stress, that they can't earn a living, they can't handle the family, but it's not working. How do you change that culture? Because when you do that, you see the success of it. You've just proven it. And we see the success of it in so many Americans of color that have risen to incredible heights in our society and have done amazing things. But those people got a break because at least they started with a family or a mentor or someone that took them under wing and made sure that they didn't get carried away into nonsense and, and took life step by step and paid the dues to get there. That doesn't exist. Well, Bruce, um, we've had a great hour. And, <laughs> uh, and you and I are, I, I, listen, we both live in the world of frustration. I get it. But I am so optimistic about our future. And you know why? Because great Americans like you and people in my community, we are seeing what's happening, and we understand we can get better with the mentally ill and those who are you know, substance abusers and the like, but not at our own peril and not at our community safety. And you cannot get any of those things, education opportunity, you can't get uh, equality, you can't get anything unless you start with your own personal and community safety. And that is fundamental to our society. And that's a perfect way to end our hour together, District Attorney Todd Spitzer. As always, so thankful for your time, your ideas. It's been really interesting, and I wish you the best. Thank you, YouTubers. Good night. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. Again, it's been a pleasure, a pleasure and an honor to have you tuned in tonight. Have a great week. I'll be back again next Sunday at 6 o'clock with more conversation, more ideas, and hopefully solve some of our issues. Good night and good luck.
You've been listening to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear the Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public.